Good morning, church family. Happy Resurrection Sunday to everybody. I hope everybody's had a blessed week this week. I'm going to start off reading the scripture. I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 50. It says, Brothers, I tell you this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, and corruption cannot inherit incorruption. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will be changed in a moment, in the blink of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God for the resurrection of Christ our Savior, who was able to conquer death and grave and give us life eternal. Let's pray before we worship. Lord God, we humbly bow before your throne this morning, giving you praise and thanks for your grace and mercy. We are so undeserving of you, but you still gave your Son for us, and for that we are thankful. We are thankful for his sacrifice, his atonement for our sins, and we are thankful for his resurrection that defeated death. And Lord, we just pray that you'll be with us this morning during this worship time, Lord. Just pray that this worship is uplifting to you and your kingdom. Just pray that you'll continue to be with us through this uh, global trial that we're going through, Father. We just pray that you'll just uh, help us to rest assured in the hope that we have in you that you have a plan you have an action and we know that you're in control of everything father and we just pray that you'll give us guidance during this time for it's in jesus sweet holy name we pray amen let's join together in worship Let no one call 
Thanks for uh, joining with us this morning, uh, this beautiful Easter morning. And I just, um, I pray that, um, I pray today is not hindered, uh, your celebration is not hindered just because you're not able to be at church this morning. Um, I hope that you have seen, like I have throughout this time, that uh, the church is far more than a building. Um, the church are the people that uh, make up the body of Christ. And so, um, we are gathered together this morning, maybe not in presence, uh, physical presence, but in spirit we are together. And so we're still going to celebrate. Um, that has not changed. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has not changed. And so we, uh, we have every reason to continue our celebrations today. Uh, I really want to give you a new recipe to try today. <clears throat> um, I know that we... Uh, the world is filled with all kind of uncertainties right now, and there there is a lot of fear that is going around. And um, and you know our natural self um, is naturally going to fear, and so I understand where a lot of it comes from, and um, I, I understand where the concern comes from. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned, but I want to give you a um, 
a recipe to fix up today that um, even though you're not with your family celebrating today or you're not with your church family eating a celebration sunrise breakfast like we normally would, um, there, there is a recipe that I want to give you. You don't have to go to the grocery store to get uh, what you need to, to put it together. Um, all the ingredients are within you. And so we're going to look today at the recipe for the peace of God. And um, in Philippians chapter 4, we're going to read today from Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, and we'll go through verse 9. And I'm going to show you from the Word of God today that even though we live in a world full of trouble, in a world full of trials and tribulation, we can have a peace that passeth all understanding. And Paul literally gives us the recipe. He tells us exactly what we need to do and, and the ingredients that we need to put together so that we have a peace in the midst of a raging storm, in the midst of all types of uncertainties. Um, there is a peace of God that surpasses all understanding and it guards your hearts and it guards your minds in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so we're going to read that today and then we're going to have a word of prayer before we get into the, uh, to the recipe for the peace of God. So read with me if you would from Philippians chapter 4 beginning in verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness, uh, this could also be translated gentleness, and some of your versions may have that. But he says, let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand, or the Lord is near. His coming is soon. And do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things or meditate on these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So one of the first things I want you to pay attention to today is that he's telling us that there is a peace of God that we can have and should have as Christians and this peace surpasses all understanding. It don't make sense because everything else is, is falling apart in this world. But yet there is a peace that should reside within us and it can reside within us. And it guards our hearts and it protects our minds. And we can have this peace if we put the right ingredients into place. And so we're going to look at that today. Before we go any further, let's pray together. Father, we come to you right now and just want to thank you for what we celebrate today. I want to thank you for the gift of your son, Father, the gift of his shed blood to, to stand in my place, to stand in the place of sinners just like me. And Father, I thank you that you have open my eyes to the good news of His death, burial, and resurrection. I thank You that I have seen that I am a sinner. I thank You that I have seen that He has shed His blood to pay for my sins. And God, I thank You today that He is no longer dead. Father, He is alive. Father, I thank You that, that today we do not serve a dead Savior. We serve a risen Savior. I thank You today that, Lord, the fact that He is risen is evidence that You have accepted His payment. Lord, that... that my sins are completely forgiven, that my justification has been granted to me. And Father, I thank you today for the death, for the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I thank you for the gospel. And Father, I pray today that, um, Lord, even though churches all across the world are unable to gather together um, in physical presence today, I thank you that you still give us means to be together spiritually and to still connect with each other. And Father, I pray this morning that, 
that um, at least our congregation that's watching this, Father, it's my prayer that, uh, Lord, we would just look at Your Word together and that we would hear You speak to all of us together. Father, I pray this will not be my words. Lord, I pray that, Lord, that everyone would be able to look at their own Bible to see Your Word, Father, to see that this is You that speaks to us. And this is not me trying to, um, trying to make a message out of this. Father, this is just Your Word and what You have said. And Father, I pray that together that we can hear from You and together we can be inspired by You and encouraged by You. And Father, I pray that today that You would give us the recipe for Your peace, the peace of God. Father, I pray that you would help us to have a peace that passeth all understanding, a peace that even though everything is falling apart, we're still held together. And Father, I pray that you show us how to possess that this morning. Father, we love you. We praise you. Forgive us of our sins. But again, thank you for the mercy and grace that only comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We love you and we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So. Today I want you to notice in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 7 right here is where I'm at right now. Notice that the very first word that he starts with is the word and. And so what he's saying here is that he is connecting what he's fixing to tell you with everything that he has previously stated. And so what we're seeing here is that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, but it's connected to the fact that we need to do the things, put together the ingredients that He has given us before He has stated this. And then He goes even further. And skip down with me to verse 9. And notice, again, I'm praying that you're looking along in your Bible. If not, pause it right now. Go get your Bible so that you can see this for yourself. But notice in verse 9 that He says... What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and this will be the result. The God of peace will be with you. So what we see right there is that the key to having the peace of God is having peace with the God of peace. Notice you have two things there. First off in verse 7, you have the peace of God. So in other words, there is a peace. And, and this word peace, if you go back and you, and you study the word itself, you'll notice that it comes from a Greek word um, that means a, a wholeness, a, tran, a, a tranquility about things. That um, even though everything else is falling apart, you are held perfectly together. You are not in pieces, but you are at peace. And so we need to understand today that there is a, a peace of God. There is a tranquility of, 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 of spirit and soul and, and mind and body that, that can only come from God. It's a peace of God. Uh, for instance, today, do you believe that God has any concern or any worry about coronavirus? Honestly. Do you think that, that He has wrung His fingers at all? That He has twiddled His thumbs? Do you think that He has, ha, has just sit up there and wrung His hands trying to figure out, oh, what am I going to do? Uh, this coronavirus is just going all over the world. What will, what will I do about it today? Do you believe that God has had even a moment of concern or worry about this? And the answer to that is absolutely none. God is a sovereign God. Not a sparrow falls from the sky apart from His will. Even the hairs of your head are counted is what He says. There is nothing that takes place that He is not in full control of. And so we, we need to understand today that God is at perfect peace no matter what is taking place in this world. No matter what the devil does or don't do, no matter what viruses come into this world, and no matter what bills get paid or don't get paid, God is always at perfect peace. He's never concerned. He's never worried. And there is a peace of God that can guard our hearts, and it will guard our hearts is what He says, and it will guard our minds in Christ Jesus if we possess this peace. But then there is also the fact that God is the God of peace. 
So there's a peace of God, and then God is a God of peace. And so what we see when we put all this together is that the key to having the peace of God is the fact that we have to have peace with the God of peace. Now, I know what some of you are probably saying right now. Some of you are saying, okay, pastor, what in the world does this have to do with Easter? I thought we were studying the death, burial, and resurrection and celebrating that today. And you're exactly right. But let me tell you what this has to do with Easter. Everything. This has everything to do with Easter. What you need to understand is that as sinners and rebels against the God of peace, we are actually enemies of God. Now again, I'm talking outside of Christ. I'm not talking about in Christ. But outside of Christ, you and I are enemies of God. Hold your place in Philippians chapter 4. Let me prove it to you. Romans chapter 5. We'll read verses 1... I'm, so, I'm sorry. First we'll read verses 6 through 11, but we're going to come back to verse 1. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5. And we're going to read verse 6. And I want you to notice some of the wording that he uses through these verses. For while we were still weak. So there's the first description. Notice the adjectives that he uses here. First off, we were still weak. All right, so we are weak people. But while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the what? The ungodly. Next, we see not only were we weak, but we are ungodly, not pro-God. We are anti-God in our sin. And then in verse 7, he says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still, here's another key word, sinners. These are, descri these are words that are describing us. He says, so we are weak, we're ungodly, we are sinners. And while we were still sinners, God showed His love for us and He sent His Son Christ to die for us. And then look at verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. So we are weak, we're ungodly, we're sinners, and we are under the wrath of God. And then look at verse 10. For if while we were... And what does it say there? Enemies. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. And then notice this next wording. More than that, we also... What do we do here? We rejoice in God. So I want you to remember that word rejoice because we're coming back to that in Philippians. More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we have received reconciliation. Now, reconciliation means to be brought back together. So here's, let's put it all together. Here's what Paul is saying. You were not a friend of God. Before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you were not a friend of God. You were not strong. You were not godly. You, you were an enemy, you were weak, and you were ungodly. You were a sinner. You were a rebel against God, an enemy of God Almighty, the Creator of all things. That's who we were. That's a problem. But notice that he says we were under His wrath, that this wrath of God rested on us. But notice he said that through the death of Jesus Christ, we have been reconciled back to God. In other words, we have been put back into a right relationship with God. And much more than that, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. So here what you see is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is what brings us back to God and makes us friends of God, makes us people that have the strength of God, makes us people that are no longer um, uh, enemies, but instead, again, we are friends, we are His children. We are not ungodly, but instead now we are godly because He leads us in godliness and He is our godliness. And so... What we see in this is that Easter has everything to do with us having peace with God. 
And until you have peace with God, you can't have the peace of God. So if we don't have peace with God, then what do we have with God? We have war. We have wrath. And so what you see is that all the trouble and all the turmoil in this world is a result of the wrath of God on us because we were enemies, we were sinners, we were weak, we were ungodly, we were under His wrath. But I also want you to notice that in Romans chapter 1 verse 5, notice what happens. Notice what he says about what we have now. In Romans chapter 5 verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what we see is that because Christ died, He became our substitute and paid the payment for our sins. And as a result of that, we have peace in God through our faith in Jesus Christ. We have been justified. That word justified means to be declared not guilty. But again, we were ungodly. We were weak. We were enemies of God. We were sinners. And we were under His wrath. But now... Because Jesus Christ has paid the payment for us, the Bible tells us that we have peace with God. Literally, there is no more wrath. Wrath is not a problem for us anymore. Now here's what you need to understand about peace with God. Two things. You need to understand what peace with God means and you need to understand what peace with God doesn't mean. Peace with God means no more wrath. There is nothing, there is no trouble, no trial, no tribulation that will come your way that is wrath of God any longer. You no longer as a Christian experience the wrath of God because again, you have peace with God. And so it's very important that you understand that before Christ and your faith in Him, all of the curse of this world, all the trouble, all the trials, all the tribulation was a result of the wrath of God resting on you. Because again, you were an enemy. You were ungodly. You were not, um, you were weak. You, you were all of the things that God had not called you to be. You were anti-God and the wrath of God rested on you. All the curse of this world that came this way was wrath and it was only a glimpse of it at that. But here's what peace of God does mean. Peace, of, peace with God do, or does not mean. Peace with God does not mean that there is no longer going to be any trouble or tribulation. So again, peace with God means no more wrath. But peace with God does not mean no more trouble or tribulation. Notice what he says in verse 2 of Romans chapter 5. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we, here's that word again, rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So, Here's what we have here. Because we have peace with God, we have access into His grace. We have access to things of His goodness that we don't deserve. We have access to forgiveness. We have access to His kindness. We have access to His compassion. We have access to His sympathy. We, we have access to all of God's goodness because it, His wrath no longer rests on us, we are at peace with Him. And that's a beautiful thing. I want you to think for just a moment. What does it mean that the God of all creation, that His wrath, that He is against you, that He is at war with you, what does that mean to you? Well, it should scare you. And what we have to understand is that because of what Christ has done, we have peace with God. And now we're no longer at odds with Him, but we're on the same page. We have been justified, declared not guilty of our sin because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I hope you're tracking with me. Don't let me lose you. Stay with me. And so I also want you to notice what he says in verse 3. So not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. So here again, we rejoice. 
We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the fact that He is our peace. We rejoice in the fact that wrath is no longer a part of our life. But we also rejoice in sufferings. So here again, we see that even though the wrath is removed, the sufferings of this world remain, but they're not wrath. Notice what he says. We rejoice in our sufferings, and here's why. Because we know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom has been given to us. So again, peace with God does not mean no more trouble, no more suffering, no more tribulation. No, actually just the opposite. Um, do you remember the parable of the sower? I, I think you could go back to the book of Mark chapter 4 and one of the seeds that was thrown on the ground landed on rocky soil. And it sprung up quickly, but it didn't have any root. It only endured for a little while. And Jesus tells us that this is the people that when the word was sown, they received it immediately and they sprung up in joy. Yet it only lasted for a moment because as soon as tribulation and persecution arose because of the word, and you go back and you, that's what it says. It says that the tribulation and the persecution arose because of the word. So in other words, there's going to be times in our life that because we're following God, because we are, are, are following Jesus, the persecution of this world is going to come at us. The devil is going, to t is going to try to throw everything he's got at us. And so as a result of that, we have to understand this is not the wrath of God, but instead God uses this to produce something in us. Again, notice what he says here. He says here that it's no longer wrath, but now the suffering is producing endurance. In other words, it's producing a steady persistence. Remember that suffering tests our faith. You never really know where you stand with God and how true and genuine your faith is in God and your hope is in God until your faith is tested. And so what we see in this is that God allows suffering to continue in our life because our faith is going to be tested. You are going to get to prove that, that you truly do love God, that you truly have a genuine faith in Christ Jesus, that you have a hope of what He has promised you and that you are pursuing that come what may. And so this, this suffering produces endurance, steady persistence. And then this endurance produces proven character. Literally, the experience of being tested is what this endurance produces. So we get to see that we are genuine. This, as we endure, as the suffering produces a persistence in this thing, and we prove that no matter what the devil throws at us, that we trust God, that we are for God, that we are friends of God, that we love God. As the, as the world throws everything it's got at us, and we keep proving that we are genuine, that we do believe, what we do is we, we, we actually produce a proven character. We are able to, to look at ourselves and, be, and, and, and we're able to say to the world, we are who we say we are. But how many people do you know that have went through tough times and they didn't maintain faith, they quit along the way, they gave up, and they proved that they did not love, they did not trust God, and so they quit. So we want to make sure that the suffering in this world is producing endurance in us, that we're keeping on keeping on. And we want to make sure that that endurance produces a proven character in us, that we are who we say we are. And then notice the last thing it says, and proven character produces hope. In other words, it only makes us increase in the hope of God's promise. So as we prove who we are, as we keep enduring and, and our, our faith proves genuine, the only thing it does is creates more hope in us. We look at the suffering of this world and the curse of this world and we look forward to the day when there is no more curse. And so the hope just increases in us and our rejoicing just increases even more. And this is the pattern that should be producing in you as you are going through sufferings in this life. Because again, you are at peace with God 
if you have faith in Jesus Christ and have been justified for all of your sin. And so what we find in this is that peace with God comes from Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and more specifically, our faith in that. So here's in layman's terms. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I believe that He was buried, that He literally he, he met death all the way. He didn't almost die. He didn't get very weak, but then came back to life. No, He died. He paid the payment. He was buried in a tomb for three days. And then on the third day, I believe that He rose again. I believe that He proved that the payment for death was made. Think about it. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. If Jesus dies but He stays dead, then the payment has not been made. God has not accepted a payment. God is the one that cursed the world with death because of sin. And God is the one who has the power to give life. And so ultimately, if Jesus does not rise from the dead, then death has not been paid. But if death is paid and, and the payment is accepted, then life is the result. I hope that makes sense to you. And so what we see is that I believe that Jesus died and that He was buried and that He paid for my sins and on the third day He rose again proving that His payment for, death, for, for sin had been accepted and now life is the result of it and now He has the power to give me life. He became a life-giving spirit as uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says. And so what we see is that this peace with God means no more wrath. This peace with God means that death has been paid. Now we will still experience the first death, but not the final death. We will be given eternal life, not eternal death. And so peace with God means no more wrath, but it does not mean no more trouble. Instead, trouble is what God now uses to grow our holiness and to grow our hope in Him. So again, when trouble comes your way, it's not because God is punishing you for your sin. No. When God sends trouble your way and He allows trouble to come, it's because God works all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And so God is taking all of your suffering and He is going to use it to produce endurance in you, to produce a proven character in you, and to produce even more hope in you because God does not want you to set your hope on this world. Because believe me, this world is cursed and it is not going to last. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. And so I pray that you understand that when suffering comes, it is not because God is punishing you. No, you have peace with God. Now, I'm not talking about the discipline of God. That's different than wrath. Yes, we have discipline. God is a loving Father, and He's going to discipline us for our sins. But I'm not talking about the punishment of wrath. I'm not talking about the curse of the wrath of God being poured out on you. God now uses it all, even your discipline, for your good. He is always producing in you and He is always growing holiness and He is always growing hope. And so I hope you see that today. And so because of that, go back with me to Philippians chapter 4. With all that context in mind, I want you to remember Paul wrote what you just read in Romans and Paul wrote what you're reading in Philippians. Philippians chapter 4 verse 4. Here are the ingredients of having the peace of God. Remember, the first one is we have to have peace with God. If you don't have peace with God through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you do not have peace with God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is only through faith in God's and in God's provided sacrifice of Christ Jesus that you will be justified from your sin. And without it, there will be no justification. And so the first ingredient is you must have peace with the God of peace. It can't happen without it. But then look at the second ingredient. 
Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Here's the next ingredient for a peace of God that passes all understanding, that guards your minds and guards your hearts in Christ Jesus. Rejoice. Rejoice. Always rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Ultimately, what Paul is trying to let us know here is that because we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, because the wrath of God no longer rests on us, and because we know that every suffering that comes our way is either a result of God's loving discipline or a result of God producing something in us, we have every reason to always rejoice. It is important that you understand you never have a reason to not rejoice. Remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 3? He said, But we rejoice also in our sufferings. L listen, I'm not telling you that you're not going to shed tears when tough times come. No, there's a time to cry. There's a time to mourn. But even in our mourning, we should always be able to have a reason to rejoice because of the hope that is in us. I hope you understand that even in the loss of loved ones, you know, I was speaking to a family uh, yesterday that, that they, they lost a child. And I'm not going to say their names on camera. They'll, they'll give it when they, they want you to know. But um, they were pregnant and they lost a child. And, and me and my wife have been through it three times ourselves. And so we at least understand at least how we felt when that happened. And I want you to know that it's hard. And you cry and it hurts. But even in those times, I can rejoice. I want you to know something. One day, there are three children in heaven right now that I have never got to meet. And they belong to me. And I know that one day I'll get to meet them. I'll get to see them. I will get to know them. I will know them even as I am known by God Himself. And, and there is always reason for hope, even in the midst of your hurt, even in the midst of your tears, even in the midst of your suffering. And so we rejoice in the Lord. And notice what He says, always. And again, I will say rejoice. If you, can, if you can mix this first ingredient in there, remember, we have peace with God is the first ingredient, but then we rejoice because of what the peace with God means to us. And if you can do that, then I can promise you, then you are at the first step of understanding how to possess the peace of God that passes all your understanding. But you have to come back to this scripture. Mark the scripture in your Bible. Put it in, in with a bookmark on it so that the next time you find yourself in trouble, come back to this and you put a one, two, three, four on all of these ingredients and you remind yourself, okay, here's, here's step number one. I got to have peace with the God of peace. Here's step number two. I got to rejoice. I got to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I got to be told to rejoice. And then... You go back and you remind yourself, here's why I have peace with the God of peace. Here's why I can rejoice always. Rejoice always, no matter what comes my way. And you remind yourself of these things and you can have the peace. This is not some kind of spell that we're trying to conjure up. This is absolute godly truth that you can possess. The question is, do you believe it? And I know that's harsh today. But that's the truth. The question is, do you believe it? Do you believe that God is working all things together for your good? Do you believe that you have peace with God and that His wrath is no longer on you, but He's producing in you? Do you believe that you can rejoice in the Lord always, that no matter what comes your way, you have every reason to rejoice? And if you believe it, you are at the first steps of possessing the peace that passes all understanding. Notice what he says next in verse 5. In verse 5 he says, Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And so here's what this is saying. Be at peace with each other. 
Be at peace with each other. God is a God of peace and Jesus is our peace and we are called to be at peace with each other. Now here's the reason I know this is what he's talking about. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 4, Paul is having to address a couple of women in this church that are not at peace with each other. Now they are at war with each other and we don't know exactly why they're at war with each other, but they are having some conflict and it's unresolved. And so as a result of that, Paul has to write and ask certain people to help these women get along. Help them remember that they are to be at peace with each other. See, again, God is a God of peace and we are called to be at peace with God. And because we are called to be at peace with God, we are also called to let that overflow out of us and flow out to peace with others. Remember in Romans chapter 12 verse 18. I'll read it to you. But in Romans chapter 12 verse 18, listen to what he says. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We are called to be peaceful people. We are called to, to not be offended. We are called to make sure we resolve our differences. We are called to always be seeking for peace no matter what we are doing. We have been given peace with God freely through Jesus Christ. It didn't cost you anything. Jesus paid for it all. And yet we want other people to pay for our peace. That's not the way it works. God said, if you don't forgive others their trespasses, I won't forgive you yours. And the reason behind that is because it proves that you don't understand the grace that's been given to you. If you understand the peace that's been given to you, then it should overflow freely out of you. Now, yes, your natural reaction is to be offended. I get that. Your natural reaction is to be angry. But somewhere along the lines, your spiritual mind and your spiritual heart that God has given you through His Holy Spirit should open your eyes to see that this is not the correct response. God doesn't stay angry with me. God doesn't hold my offenses against me. I have to make sure that I don't stay angry or hold offenses against my brothers and sisters and I need to be at peace with others. And so if I will be at peace with others, then I am ready for the Lord to come back because notice what He says. Let your gentleness or your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. In other words, one of the reasons why we don't have a peace that passes all understanding is because we're not at peace with others. In other words, we're not ready for the Lord to come back. We are not responding to others out of a heart of peace, out of a heart of forgiveness, out of a heart of kindness. So if you want to have a peace of God that surpasses all understanding, then you need to let go of any anger and you need to let go of any offenses that have been committed against you. Listen, we're sinners. We're human. If you and me stay together long enough, you are going to be offended by me. And I'm going to be offended by you. I don't know how many times I've seen brothers and sisters get up and walk out and leave because one of their other brothers and sisters was a sinner. I'm not going to call you out because I'm hoping the Lord has convicted you of this and I'm hoping that if you're out there, wherever you're at, I'm hoping that you're back in the fellowship and I'm hoping that you are, 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 are back at peace with everyone else and I'm hoping one day that you will have the heart to call people that you've walked out on, that you have, have left in times of sinfulness and I'm hoping that you will forgive them and ask them to forgive you for your sin because the truth of the matter is the Lord is coming quickly. And if we harbor up offenses and anger in our heart, we prove that we are not understanding the peace of God that has been granted to us. So again, the next ingredient, let go of your anger. Be at peace with each other. Forgive. Live and let live, I guess is one way to put it. But not just live and let live, literally forgive. Let it go. Love and be at peace with your brothers and sisters at Christ. And again, as much as is possible with you. Now, I can't make people forgive me, but I can forgive you. And that's what God is calling us to here. And then the last thing. There's more, but this is the last one I'm going to give you today. I don't know how long I've been doing this, but I can't keep you all day. Look at verse 6. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here's the last ingredient for a peace that surpasseth all understanding. Cast all your cares on Him. Yes, the world is still full of trouble. Yes, it's not wrath, but it's still suffering. It's still discipline. It still hurts. It still brings tears. But we still have every reason to rejoice. We can still be at peace. Others still hurt us, but we can choose to forgive. We can choose to, to, to let anger on and put on kindness and respond to that person out of love, not out of our anger. We can, we can choose to, to cast our cares on Him, our concerns and, and our burdens and the things that, that um, the troubles of this world bring to us. We can, we can choose to cast it on Him. Uh, Peter tells us, it's in 1 Peter I believe somewhere, but he said, cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. And so what we see in this is that God is telling us, I understand that there's going to be anxiety. I understand that there are things that are going to tempt you to worry. But instead of worrying, talk to Him about your concerns. He cares for you. He is concerned about you. He loves you. And so He tells us, cast your cares upon Him. He is your heavenly Father. You are His child. And if you being an a evil father because you're a sinner... If you being an evil father knows how to love your children and give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father who is perfect in all of his ways know how to love and give you what you need? So cast your cares on him. Talk to him. Notice what he says. Don't be anxious about anything, but instead, in all of your concerns, talk to him. That's what it means when it says by prayer. Talk to Him and supplication. It's talking about making your request. It's talking about actually giving Him your concerns. So it's a literal conversation in which you give Him your concerns and you do it with thanksgiving. Remember, the reason why we can be thankful is because we know that it's not His wrath. We know that He's either disciplining us to correct us and to turn us around or He is producing something in us. He's producing holiness in us. He's producing endurance. He's producing character. He's producing hope. He's making sure we don't set our, our affections on this world. And so we can always give Him our concerns with thankfulness. With thankfulness in our hearts. Let your requests be made known to God. And then finally, look what he says in verse 7. And, in other words, if you will put all of these ingredients together, <laughs> I hope that you didn't just sit here and listen to this message and not go through it with me because this is the Word of God so that every moment of every day of your life you can have a peace that passeth all understanding. It will guard your minds. It will guard your hearts. And so I pray that you didn't just sit here and listen to this and go, okay, good sermon, Pastor. I could give a rip less if you think this is a good sermon or not. I hope I'm, I hope I'm not being too offensive there, but that's the truth. I don't care. Um, this is the Word of God. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. My prayer is that you hear it and you put it into practice. Jesus Christ died to pay for your sins. He was buried and He rose again on the third day to prove that God accepted it and that you are no longer at war with Him. His wrath is not on you. You are at peace with the God of peace. And now He says, put these ingredients into place. Rejoice always. And again I say to you, rejoice no matter what it is. Be at peace with each other. Because the God, has, the God of all creation has made peace with you and you don't deserve it. So give it to others that don't deserve it. And then let your requests be made known to God. Talk to Him and cast your concerns on Him, trusting Him that not a sparrow falls from the sky apart from His will. And I'm thankful no matter what He sends my way because I trust Him and I know that He's always working. And you rest in that. And if you do that, it says in verse 7, and the peace of God, remember this peace comes from God, 
which surpasses all understanding. It will guard your hearts and it will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. I pray this Easter Sunday that you have the peace of God that surpasses all your understanding. I pray that this COVID-19 has not caused you so much anxiety and worry that, that you have missed this beautiful gift of the peace of God. I pray that if it has, that you will go back through this and you will put these ingredients in place and I pray that you'll believe it. And I pray that you ask God to help you apply it to your life so that, so that you no longer walk in this anxious mind, but instead you can breathe and know that God is in control and you are at peace with Him and He loves you and He is working all things together for your good and that He will correct you if you are in the wrong and that He will work all things together to produce holiness and godliness in you. I pray that you know that He is for you and He is not against you. And if God be for you, then who or what can be against you? That's my prayer for you today. Happy Easter. I pray you have a blessed one. And I pray that the Word of God changes your life today. Praise God. We serve a risen Savior. He is alive and He is with us today. I love you. God bless you.
Forever mine You are forever